My name is Gene Williams. I am one of the leaders here, and I'm delighted that you're all here. Whether you've been here for a while, you're new, somewhere in between, we are delighted to have you. Welcome. If you are just joining us, we are about halfway through a City Church sermon series. Last week, Tom led us through how to be a caring church. Before that, Jorn talked about how to be a praying church. This week, we're going to look at how to be a sharing church, how to share Jesus as the Christ. As Christians, we're supposed to share Jesus, right? That's really hard sometimes. In fact, most of the time. That stuff that Kevin said is great, but outreach is hard. Is it, is it worth it? Is sharing worth it? Tom gave us some reasons last week as to why sharing's hard. He said, uh, one of the reasons we can say is, I don't know the gospel. Another reason, I don't know how to share the gospel. I don't prioritize the gospel. In other words, my life is really busy. I don't have time to share the gospel. Number four, others don't need the gospel. They've got their own lives, their own things to worry about. And then the last one he shared is, others don't want the gospel. They don't want to hear from me. I'm just going to annoy them by sharing. What's more, I thought of a couple other other ones. You know... The Great Commission in Matthew 28. You should be familiar with that. Um, Jesus was talking to the apostles, right? He wasn't really talking to me, so I don't need to make disciples. Plus, think about social norms. We're not supposed to talk about religion or politics. Jesus is definitely religion, so we should just obey social norms and not share. Even if I do share... That doesn't mean that the person is going to become a Christian anyway, so what's the point? Sharing puts me out of my comfort zone, and who knows if God is even going to use me? Who knows if the the church is going to grow by me sharing? So I'll just not share. All these sound like legitimate excuses to sharing Jesus. But as soon as you look at the truths of Scripture, these excuses shrivel away. They blow away like chaff. Today I want to debunk these excuses with the truths of Scripture. We are going to look at the call to share Jesus, the obedience in sharing Jesus, the sure victory behind sharing Jesus, the way to share Jesus, and the benefit of sharing Jesus. The elders gave me an extra half an hour today, so get comfy. Just kidding. Okay, Um, let's pray, and then we'll go into Acts. Father, thank you so much for the, the privilege of knowing you and looking at your word. Please help us to see how your truths of Scripture debunk all these excuses and lies we tell ourselves. Give us the the courage and the boldness to share Jesus. In Christ's name, amen. Okay, we are going to look at the call to share Jesus. We are in Acts 5. To set the scene, 
This is after Jesus has already risen from the dead. He's given His disciples the Great Commission. And He's ascended into the sky. And so we're, we're looking right now at the development of the early church. Let's pick up at chapter 5, verse 17 with the apostles. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. In these verses, we see the call to share Jesus that the apostles receive. After being thrown in prison by the high priest, they are broken out by an angel of the Lord. He says, go into the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. All the words of this life. What does that mean? Context clues tell us he's talking about Jesus. The angel is saying, go out and share Jesus. All the words of this life means words about Jesus that will give someone eternal life. So in the text, the apostles are called to share. What do they do? They share. Verse 21 says, And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. They respond as soon as possible to the call that they've been given. Why do they respond so quickly? Would you have been so quick to obey and do something that might get you thrown right back in jail? I think these men shared because they had good reason to. These are the men who traveled the earth with Jesus. They ate with Jesus. Jesus was their intimate friend. They loved Jesus. And so when the angel comes to them and says, Share, they're ready to go share because they know the person of Jesus. Is it not the same with us? Yeah, we haven't seen Jesus in the flesh yet. But we know the person of Jesus through the Bible and through prayer. We've been given the command to share Jesus too, right? Matthew 28, Great Commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Like the words of the angel here in Acts, the Great Commission was spoken to the apostles first and foremost. But 
It was spoken to them in the divine knowledge that that command would be passed down. Part of the teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you includes the command to go make disciples. So, if you are a Christian, you have been called to make disciples of Jesus Christ. How have you responded to that call? Have you shared Jesus and the Gospel with others? After sharing the Gospel, have you built the relationship with that person such that that person comes to know Jesus more? Have you shared with them that they have been called to make disciples of Jesus too? If not, I encourage you, pray. Ask God how you can start making disciples. Talk about it in your small groups today. And I share this not to make you feel guilty. Uh, I'm not making disciples. But because it's in the Bible. The Great Commission is a privileged call to herald Jesus' name. It's like when a little girl gushes about her daddy. She tells everybody she sees about her daddy. My daddy this, my daddy that. People at the grocery store or the doctor's office, um, preschool. She's got a great dad. And she can't help but gush about him. It's like when you're sitting at a campfire with your friends from high school and you hear them talk about anxiety about being in the real world now or um, what's going to happen in life or you know they, they haven't really figured out the whole church thing yet. They're not sure about Jesus or religion. And you can feel yourself you know, getting worked up and you want to share, I know the answer. Pick me. The answer is Jesus. Your soul, it needs Jesus. That's the answer. You can't help but share the God about the God who saved you. This campfire thing, by the way, happened to me, but I didn't quite share like that. (laughs) So, in summary, we see the apostles faithfully obey the call that they've been given. Why should you share Jesus? Because you're called to. Just like the disciples. Let's talk about obedience. For this section, we are going to read... 27 through 34. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging Him on a tree. God exalted Him at His right hand as leader and Savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey Him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. So here we see some intimidation going down. The high priest is not happy. He yells at the apostles and reminds them, you weren't supposed to 
preach in His name. So they've been doing what they're, they're not supposed to be doing. And they speak about Jesus so much that it has filled Jerusalem. People all over town are talking about Jesus because of what the apostles did. Can you imagine if City Church shared Jesus so much that it filled State College? What if so many members of our churches spoke the gospel in the next couple of weeks that the gospel was just in the air? Stay tuned. That's exactly what we're going to try to do. I'm going to share details at the end. Next, we see the high priest saying in the end of verse 28, You intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Then Peter answers, I'll, I'll paraphrase what he says. He says, Tough luck, buddy. You tell us to do something, that's trumped by what God tells us to do. We have to obey Him rather than men. Peter knows that Christ must be shared. Why? Because God said so. What's the application for us? It's very similar. We must be obedient in sharing Jesus. We must obey God rather than men. The world will tell you not to share Jesus. Religion and politics, right? These are the two topics you're not supposed to talk about. Who are you going to obey? God or men? For me, recently, this has been asking the waiter or waitress when I'm out to eat how I can pray for them. They, you know, they usually just deliver the food. They're standing right there. I'm going to pray anyway. So I ask, are there any ways that I can pray for you? We're about to pray. And, you know, some say, no, no thank you. But others really respond. I had one lady, her eyes lit up as soon as I offered prayer, and she, she touched me on the shoulder. Another waitress, she started tearing up as we talked about praying for her son with autism. I'd encourage you to do the same. Witness however you can. Share Jesus. So, where do we share Jesus? Good question. I have a list. <laughs> share Him at home. Share Him at work. Share Him in class. Share Him at the library. Share Him at parties, at movie nights and game nights, at Starbucks, at the grocery store. Share Him on your front lawn, on campouts, on road trips, in the evening, in the morning, over lunch. When you're out to eat with your waiter, with your professors, with your children, with your parents, with your supporters, with your coworkers, share Him as often as you can. Share Jesus. He's the only hope for the thousands of souls in State College. I read a quote once, and it's, it's stuck with me. Christianity is not some vague philanthropic exercise. We are dealing with life and death here. And so we had better get on with this business of proclaiming the gospel. 
Friends, we must share the gospel. To close out this section, Peter doesn't soften the truth. He doesn't soften what the high priest did to Jesus. He doesn't soften the gospel. He says, The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. Sharing the unsoftened gospel will be controversial. And it will stir the ears of those whom you tell. It's hard truth. But it's life-saving. And it's worth sharing. So, in summary, why should you share Jesus? Because doing so means you're obeying God over men. Let's talk about the sure victory behind sharing Jesus. We're going to read the rest of chapter 5. Starting at verse 34. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Theodos rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So, in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Doesn't this get you fired up? Right when the disciples are about to be killed, killed, Gamaliel steps in. He intercedes. He says, men, this type of thing has happened before. If it's of men, it's going to fail. But if it's of God, you're not going to be able to stop it anyway. Why does Gamaliel say this? Why does he stand up for the disciples? Because it's true. Movements come and go. This type of thing had happened before. And it had failed. However, these men, the apostles, they're on the front end of a movement that would spread all throughout the world. It would not fail. The movement would spread from Jerusalem to all of Judea, to Samaria and the ends of the earth. Now we're here in Little Old State College, middle of Pennsylvania, 2,000 years later, worshiping the same God on Sunday morning. That's God being victorious in spreading His name. Elsewhere, Scripture describes the kingdom of heaven like leaven that a woman took and hid in flour until it was all leavened. 
Christianity started out as this little bit of something that grew and grew and grew and it's growing and it's going to keep growing until it reaches the ends of the earth. When God's behind something in the world, you're not going to be able to stop it. How does this apply? This means that not even your worst gospel witnessing will be able to stop God. Not your misspoken words, not your stuttering, not your sins against unbelievers, not your failures, your mistakes, your inadequacy, nothing. God is going to use you, an imperfect agent of redemption, to bring about His name on the whole earth. Not even you can stop God. And the fact that He uses imperfect people like us brings Him even more glory. He's going to fill the earth with His name, and He's going to do it by imperfect people. This means you should speak up and share. You're not going to do it perfectly, but God's going to use you anyway. This is kind of like fighting a war that we we know we're going to win. God said His name is going to go forth throughout all the earth. Jesus is going to come back. He's going to defeat evil forever. We know the ending. We're just living out the, the battles until the final victory. This should change your mindset as you go to share Jesus. You're part of a movement that will be victorious. No question. Right now I'm taking a night course called Perspectives. It's about God and His heart for the nations and how His gospel should go forth in all the nations. And the first week we had a missionary come and share about his experience with the Yanomamo people of Venezuela. He said that to get to the Yanomamo people, he had to take a three-hour plane ride over nothing but jungle. Three-hour plane ride. He had to fly there, hope that he wasn't killed on site by this tribe, begin to build trust with the tribe, and then figure out how do I explain to them that God sent His Son as a propitiation for their sin to keep them from eternal hell and to glorify Him forever? To me, that's, that's impossible. Like, how do you do that? And what's more, this guy said that there are 2,000 of those languages left. 2,000 languages that don't have a lick of the Bible translated. How is this mission possible? To me, we should just give up and pack it in. But then I remember, okay, this isn't up to me. God is the one behind this, and He said it's going to happen. So it's going to happen. If it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. Why should you share Jesus? Because victory is sure. Let's talk about the way to share Jesus. 
for these last two points, we are going to make the jump to Acts 9 and read about Saul. To set the scene for these verses, we're still looking at the early church. We're looking at a man named Saul who persecuted the church. He meets Jesus, gets converted, and then ends up writing half of the New Testament. Okay, like I said, we're going to jump around a bit. Uh, Let's start at verse 1 and read about the way to share Jesus. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to, to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. Skip down to verse 19, right in the middle of it. For some days he, this is Saul, was with the disciples at Damascus. And he immediately proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived at Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Okay, last one. Let's skip down to, for the sake of time, verse 26. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he, this is Saul still, attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. So here we see a man who is so utterly opposed to Christianity that he's breathing threats of murder against believers. We see that guy meet Jesus. And Jesus... Turns him around. 180 degrees. Boop. I'm going to use you to spread my name. And at first, all who hear Saul are shocked. They don't believe him. Verse 21 says, uh, well, I'll paraphrase what it says. This is the same guy who was ready to kill us last week. He can't be serious about preaching Jesus. He's just here to bind us up and take us away. To that, how does Saul respond? He preaches Jesus all the more. Verse 22, But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. He responds to their doubt by preaching, by sharing. Then he tries to join the the disciples. 
Can you imagine that? It's kind of like the pretty popular girl in middle school breaking the social construct of adolescence and going and sitting with the nerds at lunch. It's kind of like that, except maybe ten times more. Saul's doing something pretty radical here. They don't believe him, yet he remains true to what Jesus called him to do. He preaches all the more boldly. Verse 28, So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And then he gets people fired up enough to kill him. How does this apply to us? Well, we have it a lot easier than Saul and the disciples. When we share Jesus here in America, it's not likely that we're going to be killed. Application? Take advantage of that. We actually have the opposite of a death threat. We have an amendment. The First Amendment tells us we have the right to freedom of speech. Within reason, we can share anything 